Well, welcome, welcome again, everybody. We're so glad to have you join us, and we're so thankful, uh, whether you're in person or online, uh, that you're with us here today. And, and so uh, we are continuing our series called Easter Eggs, called Traces of Jesus Across Time, looking at Old, Testi Old Testament passages and prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And before we uh, unpack today's passage about Jesus as the coming king, I, I just have a question. I wonder, have any of you, or how often have you had an opportunity in which uh, you're really looking forward to something, and it doesn't quite work out the way that you wanted. Um, our girls uh, are really looking forward to, I know uh, Ann and Steve are watching online, uh, who are uh, Steph's parents, Grammy and Pop. Uh, the girls have been looking forward to visiting you uh, a ton this whole week, and so uh, they've been looking forward to it, getting ready to pack, having a hard time sleeping because they're looking forward to that. And so they have a lot of great um, excitement for it. And so it's really fun when you get to look forward to something and, and then it be able, you're able to fulfill that or enjoy that. But what about those times, again, that you, know, you look forward to something and maybe it doesn't work out the way you wanted? Um, I worked at a macaroni grill uh, restaurant up in L.A. County for about a year. Uh, really enjoyed their food. Um, if you've ever been there before, they have this rosemary bread that's like crunchy on the like crunchy up top and then like perfectly uh perfect on the inside. Um, and then they have the olive oil and like cracked pepper and um, some of the balsamic vinaigrette. So it's just an incredible meal, uh, incredible bread. I would go and I'd want to get um, the, uh, there's a grilled salmon dish there. And then uh, the lemon passion dessert. If you love lemon, uh, it is fantastic. And so uh, unfortunately, when I lived up in the LA County, uh, the restaurant that I closed at, um, or excuse me, that I worked at closed down uh, shortly after um, I left. I mean, I don't think I had anything to do with it, but, um, you know, they closed down. There was another location about 15 miles uh, further east, um, which Steph and I ended up moving right down the street from. Had a Father's Day where I was really looking forward to eating at that restaurant at Macaroni Grill. I show up, and not only is it not open, but that location actually shut down. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, great. We'll go to the islands across the street. That restaurant was not just closed for the day. That restaurant was shut down. So I just felt like super shut down um, on Father's Day. But I was looking forward to it because this past, or excuse me, when I first got here in 2018, I, you know, I've realized that there's a macaroni grill up in Escondido at Westfield, uh, North County. And I was like, okay, for our birthdays, for staff, we end up going to whoever birthdays, whosever birthday it is, excuse me, um, ends up picking where to go. So I'm like, okay, we're going to go to macaroni grill. I cannot wait. And we go there. It was on a VBS day, so it was hot. We, we had a full morning. It was a good morning, but, you know, we're a little tired. We go, and I remember waiting for a really long time, and though it wasn't super busy, but we're like, okay, well, we have to wait. So that was kind of disappointing. Uh, we went in, and the bread was, like, overcooked. Like, it wasn't just crunchy. It was just kind of like, you know, it just wasn't very good. The service wasn't great. The food wasn't what I expected. The lemon passion was still good. Uh, so we ended on a sweet note, uh, literally, and that was nice. But besides that, it was like, it was kind of a disappointing experience there. And I haven't gone back since. Uh, I haven't gone back in a few years because it just wasn't what I'd expected. And, and it, I built it up. I was looking forward to it and it didn't work out. And all of us have these times in which, you know, maybe it's something small like a restaurant and wanting to eat. A place you haven't been into in a while and, and you struggle when it's not what you had hoped for. Other times it's, you know, things in relationships. You know, you're, maybe you were, really, uh, you were really hoping and expecting that if you work really hard in middle school and high school that you'd be able to get into the university that you wanted to go to. And maybe you got that rejection letter and it wasn't what you had hoped for. Maybe you got to a school or university that you wanted and you pursued a career, but then your major changed and then you get out of school and you have a bunch of debt and then you pursue a career and 
the career, a few years into it, you're like, this, not only is it not what I expected, this is not what I wanted or enjoyed or even feel like called to do. And so that's not what you expect. Maybe you get married and you expect that your relationship, your marriage won't be perfect, but you expect it to be good. And a few years down the road, you realize that it's anything but good. You have kids and you expect it to be just, you know, beautiful and, and restful. And you're like, restful is not a thing. You know, you expect it to be one way and then it's not what it comes to be. You expect to have enough money for retirement, but then a pandemic hits or there's a market crash or your career goes under. And all of a sudden, these expectations, things that we look, have been looking forward to, fall apart. They crash or they change to a point where now... We're sad, we grieve that change, and then if we're not careful or if we don't process those emotions with the Lord well, then we end up just getting angry. So the question as we get ready to pray and join into the study is how do we respond when our expectations of God go unmet? How do we respond when our expectations of God Go it's one thing when another person breaks an expectation or, or it doesn't work out the way we want it to, or a restaurant, or a university, or a job. What is it like when God, when we feel like God, our expectations of him go unmet? How do we wrestle with that? As we look at the passage today, hopefully we'll find some encouragement, some challenge, and some steps for moving forward and how to navigate that together. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here with us wherever here is, whether we're online, whether we're outdoors. God, we thank you that this is a day you've made. We rejoice and are glad in it. Your mercies are new this morning and every morning. And so we turn to you now. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we dive in, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord, and that you would help us to wrestle with expectations and help us to lean into you even when things, maybe especially when things don't go the way we expect. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we're in Easter egg series, so we're going to be in Zechariah 9, and then we're also going to be in Matthew 21. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start just reading Matthew 21, uh, verses 1 through 3, and, and we're just going to catch up there, and then we're going to jump back to Zechariah. So we're going to go back and forth a little bit here. Now, Matthew chapter 21 is Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, that he's had his ministry for three years, and now it's time for him that he knows he's going to Jerusalem and that his crucifixion, his death was imminent. And so he's coming into Jerusalem um, from the Mount of Olives. He was staying in Bethpage and Bethany area. He's coming in, and this is a huge occasion. This is an incredible story, and it talks about how, in my Bible, it says Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. He's the coming king, which is our title for this morning's message. Matthew 21, verse 1 in your Bible says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent, to two, sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And then verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So 
when it's saying to fulfill what the prophet said, that comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And so we're going to actually flip over there so that we can see in the context what it is that is being prophesied about this king who would be coming into Jerusalem. So this section says, as in my Bible, it's called the coming of Zion's king, starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, there's a few descriptors or descriptions of this coming king in this passage. One of them is righteous. The idea that he would do what is right and fair and just. Imagine being part of Israel, which has been for decades has had kings, the many of which were not righteous. They were crooked or they did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That they followed off after the sins of uh, their fathers and their forefathers before them. And to hear that a righteous king was coming, not only would that fill your soul with hope because of your histories for the history of Israel, but it would also fill you with hope because currently, well, from the from the the Romans perspective, excuse me, from the Matthew twenty one perspective, they are seeing this through the eyes of a Roman dictator, a Roman empire that is taking over. So now there's not just your own history has had difficulty with unjust kings, but also the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then now the Romans that you've been surrounded by unrighteous, unjust kings. For, for hundreds of years by the time this gets fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. The next one that we see is this idea of victorious, that it's a, it's a conquering king. It's a, it's a king that has won victory, and we'll unpack that because that victory is a very different victory than how the people would have perceived and understood it to be at the time. Then we see that it's a humble king, or a gentle is the word that um, comes from the idea of humility, and a king that would be riding on a donkey, that a donkey or a, a colt, a foal of a donkey, is, is uh, a, a beast that would be used in order to, like for princes. But it was not a beast or it's not something that a king would come in and, and it's all of its glory. It's not a king, that, it's not an animal or a way of coming in that would be victorious in the same way that maybe we often would think of it. You know, it would be like recognizing this this is not like a huge motorcade that that brings in a king or a president it's it's you know a couple of bicycles you know like it's something that it's it's not the same as you'd expect and so we want to unpack again let's understand what it is verse 10 will give us a little bit more of an idea of again how would israelites throughout time understand this prophecy and how it would refer to a coming king verse 10 says I, this is from the words of God, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He, the coming king, will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So you start to look at this verbiage that God is saying through this king, I'm going to take away chariots, which were obviously used for battles, for wars. I'm going to remove war horses from Jerusalem. I'm going to break the bow of battle and there will be peace across the nations that the kingdom would go from the river to the seas. See, 
You're reading this, and if you're looking at this, you think, okay, there is going to be a day when a king is going to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and all of the machinations or machinations of war would be destroyed in Jerusalem. That there would, they would be able to cast off the burden of an empire that was ungodly, unjust, and that they would bring, this king would bring victory, that peace would be brought across the nations, that war horses, chariots, battle bows would all be destroyed. Because this king is going to conquer. This king is going to come in and he is going to set things right so that the Jewish people would be able to be restored and that there would be a nation of, for Jerusalem and for the Jewish people and the nations around them would flee or the nations around them would be defeated. That's what hundreds of years would be understood looking at this passage. Hundreds of years of that understanding are the context that bring us to Matthew 21 when Matthew again refers in verses four and five. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's bringing this section up to say, listen, this is the king. Jesus is the king that was prophesied hundreds of years before. That there's this Easter egg, something that is hidden in the Old Testament that will be revealed in the New Testament. It's this coming king is coming into Jerusalem to conquer and to restore and to do all these incredible things. Matthew 21 verse 6 says the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest forever. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But we're going to sit here on verse 9, this, this idea of the crowds, a very large crowd. And then verse 9 talks about how there are two different crowds. And some of the part of the crowd is a crowd that was ahead of Jesus, that were already in Jerusalem as part of the pilgrimage that faithful Jewish people would go to Jerusalem for a few different um, um, feasts. And one of them was Passover, which would be coming up in just a few days in this timeline. And so they were coming to Jerusalem. So there were some who already followed God and worshiped him there that had come from all over. And then there's a crowd that was behind him. And one commentator I read talked about how that may very well have been local people who have heard about Jesus and had seen what had just happened right before this story, before God, Jesus left for Jerusalem. What happened in John chapter 11 is that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and that a huge crowd had seen this happen. And so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, and then in John 12, which is the parallel passage of this, John 12 is when he comes into Jerusalem. And so there's, the story is, or the idea is that there are some people who are already pursuing God, and they're recognizing that Jesus is king, but they've heard about him, but they hadn't seen him. Then there are some who have seen what he's done and heard what he's done, and they were worshiping him and, and saying, Hosanna, which means save us. It's a cry of exclamation. It's a prayer. It's Hosanna, save us, save us. Recognizing calling him the son of David is a connection to him as being the Messiah, the chosen one, 
that would come from the line of David that would be the coming king to restore Jerusalem and to restore God's people in a physical kingdom. And so you see on the image there that there, there's a picture of, of Jesus coming in and the crowds surrounding the crowds saying, save us. The crowds laying down their cloaks in order to let him walk across and, and grabbing palm branches in the John 12 version. It says they bring palm branches and they lay it down, which is why this Sunday, the Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday. It's the acknowledgement of this passage that Jesus was the coming king entering into Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to die for our sin, knowing that he was going to face incredible pain and heartache, incredible um, just suffering. And that he comes in and then the crowd that worships him on Sunday and praises him and is excited is the same crowd that by Friday would be calling for his death. Sunday, they're calling for his salvation. Friday, they're calling for his death. Sunday, they're worshipers. By Friday, they're crucifiers. Sunday, they have been looking for him and they're seeking him and they're excited and celebrating. By Friday, they're turning their back on him, jeering and calling him out. What happens? How do we respond to circle back to our question, how do we respond when our expectations of God go unmet? Because something must have happened within these three days that caused the crowd to go from worship to worshipers to crucifiers. What is it that happened and, and why is that important for us today? Because as Matthew 27, 22 says, by Friday, the same crowd that was worshiping him says this. Pilate is asking when it's time to release one of the prisoners, either Jesus or Barabbas. Verse 22 says, what shall I do then? Pilate asks with Jesus, who was called the Messiah. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Notice they didn't have a response for what crime he had done, for he had done no crime. They just yelled for crucifixion. So what changed for them from Sunday to Friday? Well, their expectation of Jesus as a conquering king, of an earthly king leading an earthly revolt or restoration of an earthly kingdom of the nation of, Jeru of Judaism, or excuse me, of uh, the Jewish people, that did not happen. When our marriages don't work out the way that we want, how do we respond? When our health doesn't, it doesn't turn out the way that we want, how do we respond? When our prayers don't go answered in the way that we want them to, how do we respond? When we expect something from someone, and especially when we expect that something from God, and that goes unmet, how do we respond? Because often when we are sad and we mourn, which again, sadness is okay. That's real. That's viable. That's an authentic emotion that specifically in our culture, we tend to sweep under the rug. Anger is a real emotion. Fear is a real emotion. And God can take our sadness, our anger, and our fear, and we could bring those to him. And he's not terrified by them. He's big enough to handle all of them. The difference is, are we going to bring them to him? Are we going to let our sadness or our, our unmet expectations harden our hearts to Christ? In anger, 
and then move from a worshiper to a crucifier, from someone who celebrates him to someone who rejects him, from someone who brought down palm branches off of a tree to then cheered when his palms were pierced to a tree on the cross. How do we navigate this? Because that same, you see in the image, that same artist paints the picture of on Sunday when they're welcoming him, by Friday when they are crucifying and calling for his death. So we're going to take a little bit of a small aside here, um, and we'll circle back, we'll bring it back here. But let's unpack for a few moments what an what a expectation, what a valid versus a, an unclear expectation really is. Because this is just something that helps us in our relationships, not just our relationship with God, but any of our relationships. Because there are times that you, that I, that we've had expectations of someone, and they've gone unmet. And sometimes we need to unpack why that is and where those unmet expectations were unclear so that we can clarify them, so that we can have those be met. And what does that look like? So Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor and an author that, I, um, that I've read lots of books, really enjoy. Um, he wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Discipleships, a book I'm reading right now. And he has another book or a course called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. How do, how do people relate to one another? And it's not just romantic relationships. It's just in the church, in leadership, in any relationship, how do we relate in a way that is emotionally healthy? And so he talks about how unclear and unmet expectations often come from four things. And we're going to take a few moments to unpack those to see how it plays into our passage and into our lives. The first is that we often have expectations when they go unmet. It's because we sometimes can be unconscious. The first one is unconscious that we even have this expectation in the first place. You ever had a time when you were frustrated and you don't even know why? You weren't even sure what it was about that someone said or did or didn't say or didn't do that bothered you. And you're not even purely understanding why it struck you and frustrated you so much. An example is uh, I was in a Bible study, a small group with a, a, a couple of other young uh, married men. And one of them shared, this is a few years ago, how he re realized that he would come home from work and that his wife was just upset with him. And he didn't know why. Amen, men? No? Okay, never mind. Um, don't want to get people in trouble. Um, it goes both ways, right? Sometimes we just don't understand why the other person is upset with us. And so what he, he ended up there talking about it, and his wife wasn't even fully sure what it was. But as they were talking about it, she realized, she consciously made herself aware that she was upset because her dad, every day that he was at work, would call his mom, or excuse me, her mom, so Sorry, that was confusing. So my friend's wife, her dad would call her mom every day to say, I'm on my way home and to communicate. Well, she wasn't even aware that that was an expectation she had, that a way for a husband to show love to his wife was to call on the way home every day. So my friend did, had no idea because she was unaware. She, it was an unconscious expectation. And so that's one way that if we're not even aware that we're expecting it from someone, how in the world would the other side, the other person know? The other idea is not just unconscious, but um, this idea of being unrealistic. Do we have unrealistic expectations? Do we have an expectation that, you know, in my friend's example, that um, this, this his wife, would his wife expect him to call every hour on the hour, even if he's in a meeting, to stop that meeting and to stop meeting with clients or to stop doing work in order to call her? Is that, is that realistic? 
Well, maybe not, because there's other things that need to be done, and she needs to do things too. Are there times in which, you know, I, I love my wife's cooking. She's great at cooking, and she does a great job. I also enjoy eating food out, like taking food out, eating at a restaurant. It would be unrealistic for me to be upset and say, you know, hey, I'm upset because we're not eating out every single night. That's not a realistic expectation. And because she makes great food, then I don't have to worry about it. But still, I want to eat out. But if I were to expect that and then to get mad at her, how is that fair? When we have expectations that are, we're unconscious, we're not aware of, that are unrealistic, is there a proof that this person can actually meet those expectations? Again, at, a, at my previous church, I remember there was a pastor who shared about how they expected, or no, actually it was a, it was a pastor who, um, his wife was talking to me, expecting Steph to have been at a certain event. And I'm like, well, did she tell you she was going to be there? Well, no, she should just be there. And I'm like, no, that's not a realistic expectation to expect that my wife or any of us would, they're part of a church to be at every single event, every single time. It's not realistic. The third thing, we have unconscious, unrealistic. The third one's unspoken. Maybe you do have, you are aware, you're conscious of an expectation. Maybe it is realistic, but you've never shared it with someone, with the person with whom you're frustrated. How is that? fair. You've never said, hey, I really hope that you do this, or it would really mean a lot to me, my friend's example, it really means a lot to me if you would call me on the way home so I know you're coming. It's not unrealistic, and it's spoken. So once something is spoken and it's verbalized, then if there's a brokenness, or if there's a, a, an unmet expectation, then we say, okay, well, at least everyone's aware of it. And then the fourth one is unagreed upon. And so Pete Scazzaro had a bunch of just Words that start with the letter U, so unagreed upon, you just kind of hyphen those together. Because if I have a realistic expectation I'm aware of and I communicate it to you, and now you don't fulfill it, then I can be upset. If you've never agreed to it, if, if my friend's example said, you know, I'd really like for you to call and say, well, honey, I really can't because that's what I'm trying to squeeze in the last few calls for, you know, for business. I wouldn't recommend that, but if he did that and didn't agree upon it, then, then, she could say, well, you know, you didn't agree upon it. And so now it is not a, a mutual understanding between us. But when something is conscious, when it is realistic, when it is spoken and it's agreed upon, then it's a valid expectation. And then if it's broken, that person has every right to say, you told me you would. We agreed upon this. It's not, I'm not asking you something unrealistic. This is important to me. See, this is a, that's helpful for us in our relationships and in our friendships. But here's how that plays itself out in our passage here. Because was the understanding that the coming king being a Messiah, did, was God conscious and were the people conscious that that was a, an expectation they had? Well, yeah, I mean, in here it shows uh, Zechariah 9 says, you know, he would come in and the king would lay down and destroy the broken, or he would break the bow and destroy the war horse and the chariots. And so there was a conscious understanding from the people that the Messiah would come as an earthly king. That was their conscious understanding. Was it something that was realistic? Was it realistic that God could, in fact, install and instill a godly king to rule the nation of Israel? Absolutely. We see that in the story of David. We see that in the Old Testament, that a godly king, we see it through Josiah and other good kings. Of course, it's realistic to expect that God could have done it that way. Is it realistic that 
or excuse me, is, was it something that was spoken? Did the people cry out for a king in his, in his word? Absolutely. We see them crying out and wanting a king and, and expecting that God would provide a king. So all of those three would point to how they would experience in Matthew 21, the people would see Jesus as a conquering king that was coming in victory because he was going to have a military conquest. But is that how God agreed that he was going to send the Messiah? See, even if you look at Zechariah 9 verse 10, God's speaking, he says, I will take away the chariots. I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem. I will have the battle bow be broken. But the king, he will proclaim peace. He's not saying the king is going to come in and destroy the war horses, the chariots, and the bow. God's going to do that in his own way, in his own time. The king proclaims peace. Now, we envision that peace as the absence of conflict. And now that the chariots and the war horses and the battle bow has been broken, that now the earthly king of the, the Messiah, the chosen one, would then go and proclaim, now there will be peace among the nations. But it wasn't because he fought for that peace in a military battle. And the peace that he proclaims is not a peace that's the absence of conflict between two people. But the peace that he proclaims is the fact that while we were still sinners and because God loves us and we blew it, Jesus had to pay for it so that we could receive him. And the conflict that now has provided peace is through his wounds, that by his wounds we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him, which we studied yesterday, last week in Isaiah 53. That Jesus is proclaiming that the, the rule of this coming king would go from the sea to the river, not because it's a geographical earthly rule, but because that's where the gospel would be spread. Across the world, the kingdom, the rule of God, would be spread across all nations, across all geography. That God didn't, that there wasn't an agreement that this is how the coming king was going to be. That's how the people read it and understood it. But Jesus came to subvert and he subverted expectations. Matthew kind of gives us a clue to this when he quotes this passage from um, Zechariah 9. In fact, on the screen, we're going to compare and contrast because what we see here is that in Zechariah 9, 9, it talks about how the king is going to be righteous and victorious. He's going to be lowly and riding on a donkey. In Matthew 21, 5, it says that he is going to be gentle and lonely, lowly and riding on a donkey. That gentle slash humble and ro ro uh, excuse me, riding in on a donkey are both used in both sections. But victorious and righteous are in Zechariah, but not in Matthew. Um, in grad school, and one of the things they talk about is whenever an, a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament passage, pay attention to how they include it. Do they include the whole verse, or do they want to emphasize a part of the verse and only include part of it? Well, Matthew emphasizes the lowliness and the humility of Jesus as king. And that he would be riding in on, in on a donkey, not on a war chariot. Was Jesus righteous? Of course. He's righteousness personified. 
Was he just? Yes. Was he victorious? Yes. He wins victory. But he did, but Matthew isn't pointing to those things that could be pointed to as a earthly king. He's pointing to the things that subvert expectations. That he be humble and that he be riding on a donkey, not a war horse. Why are we spending all this time unpacking this today? Some of you are like, yeah, great question. It's because we need to rest with how do we respond when our expectations of God go unmet. Because the beauty of the gospel is that the expectation would be if we are the ones who sin, we should be the ones who pay. The expectation would be if we are the ones who've broken commands or broken covenant with God, that we would experience the ramification and punishment of that. The expectation would be that a king would come in and he would be a military ruler that rises, raises up the Jewish people to overthrow the kingdom of the Roman Empire. Whereas it's not what we expected. Jesus didn't come as the king that we expected. He came as the king that we needed. We need and still needed and still need a king who doesn't just overthrow an, an earthly empire. That's not his point. His, he overthrows the spiritual warfare that our flesh and blood is not where our warfare is against. It's against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That he overthrows and gains victory, not because it's just one army against another army on earth, but because he receives victory and conquers the spiritual forces, the spiritual armies, in our spiritual warfare, we experience this idea that we, he subverts expectations because he's not the God we expected. He's not the king we expected. He's the king we needed. And that we still need. Like we talked about in our previous series, what happens when God doesn't seem fair? Praise be to God that fairness means we are the ones who experience the punishment. Expectation is that if we sin, we experience the punishment. But what we needed was Jesus to do that for us, to come in lowly, humble, on a donkey, not a war horse, to bring peace, peace that allows us to have right relationship with God and to, to spread his, his rule, his kingdom rule across nations, not because of military battle, but because of a spiritual battle that he won. And we surrender our lives to him. And so as we close this morning, maybe, maybe you look at some of those lists of uh, unmet expectations, and that could be a guide for you in your own prayer time this week. Whether you journal, whether you pray um, without journaling. Say, God, where is it that I'm consciously expecting something of you that you've never promised? You might say, God, I expect you to give me a happy, easy life. Did God ever promise that that's what we have? Maybe you say, God, I expected you to provide all the things that I want. And he says, I'm not promising everything you want. I'll give you the daily bread that you need. You can process it. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I afraid about? And, and journaling through so we can become conscious of where those expectations aren't being met. And then we pray through those things that say, God, rid me of those things so I can 
let go of the expectations that I'm holding on to so I can receive the subverted expectations that what you provide. See, I remember uh, when I was young, I, I was probably 10 or so, uh, or I was probably 10 or 11, and I was up in the Bay Area, that's where I was living in Santa Clara, and my aunt and uncle lived down here in San Diego. And it was the first time I was really excited. I was looking forward to this time. I was away from uh, my parents. Um, that's not why I was excited, but I was you know, feeling independent. I was going on a flight, staying with uh, my aunt and uncle, and they had this really cool room that was separate from their house, uh, and it was where my aunts would do music lessons. And so that's where they set me up to uh, have, um, to, where, to where I would sleep. And so I was really, I had these expectations. It was going to be so fun. I'm going to have this whole room to myself. It's going to be really great. And I remember I was about to go to sleep, and I was, got so scared. So I call my dad, and, you know, he gets a phone call, and his, you know, 11-year-old son is like, I'm scared. He's like, well, go out, you know, go downstairs and, you know, let, you know, your uncle know that you want to go inside. And even though it wasn't what I expected, the advice from my dad is what I needed to calm my fears. And so I was able to sleep in the, in the house, and it was, it was a great trip. So how do we respond? When, when our expectations of God go unmet, do we go from worshiper on Sunday to crucifier on Friday? Or when expectations go unmet, do we just call our dad, cry out to our heavenly father to get not maybe what we expected, but to get what we needed each and every day? Father, we thank you so much that you are our good father. Jesus, we thank you that you are the cornerstone upon which we can build our lives. We thank you for the song we sang earlier, that you are our king. And Jesus, oftentimes we try to take the throne away from you based on you not doing what we think you should do. God, we confess that we pray that we would let go of our own, uh, our own illusions of our own grandeur, our illusions of our ability to be the kings and queens of our own lives. We cast down our crowns before you so that we may take up the life that you have for us, that may we put you in your rightful place on the throne of our hearts. Jesus, thank you that you came and, not in what, and gave us not what we expected, an earthly kingdom, but you came to give us what we needed, entrance and acceptance into your kingdom when we trust in you and the, your life, death, and resurrection as the foundation of our lives. So Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and help us to worship you not just on Sunday, but every day throughout the week, even when things don't go as we expect. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.